dude, we work literally 100 hours a week. You know this, especially we have 40 hours with our W-2. Then we have another 60 on top to grow our baby and our babies, right? We have a bunch of different income streams here. So Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Ryan and Corey from the Weekly Juice podcast, where we get into podcasting, real estate, entrepreneurship, while you have a full-time job, and a whole bunch more. But before that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, this week, we stayed around Austin, but we got to do some cool little local events. Like There was even a place just right down the street that you've actually been to at the Parlay House, where during the day, they were doing some pumpkin carvings that was free. They had the pumpkins there. We went over there. We also did um, a Too Good to Go order. If you've never heard of that, it's like a cool way to avoid some food waste and also get food like a third of the cost. And so there's a cool place down the street. It's got like a saloon where they had live music and got a really nice brisket plate for like five bucks. And that's one thing I love about Austin. There's always something going on. It's kind of a thing that I think it's missed when people are talking about uh, higher cost of living cities is that they also come with a lot of perks. We're not having to like travel to go do something. There's always something free. Even this weekend, there's an F1 race. And for listeners, you probably remember, like I was trying to hit October as my Airbnb date. That didn't really happen um, because we did have two weekends of Austin City Limits and F1. It's a great month to have a short-term rental. We're actually needing to do a little foundation work. And we just decided we're going to get that done first and go ahead and knock that out. We understand we're kind of leaving some revenue on the table, but we need to get that fixed because we're getting some kind of sheetrock problems and stuff. The only good thing to come out of that is I actually had a really fun experience for me because I'm weird. I went and fought the city of Austin on the value of my house this week. And so I showed them all the pictures of the stuff that we've got to get fixed, all the quotes. And I'm sitting there in front of three citizens of Austin who are these three very elderly old men. I mean, it was a weird technical situation where we're all on speaker phones and there's terrible echoes, even though we're there in person. But at the end of the day, I had 20 minutes to play lawyer and I ended up getting the value of my home dropped by 26% which is going to save me over 250 bucks a month in taxes. Because in Texas, we don't have income tax, but we got a lot of property tax. So that was my week, Cody. How about you? <laughs> well, congrats on that win. That's huge, playing lawyer. Maybe if I need someone on my side in the courtroom, Justin, I'll know who to hire first, my co-host. I actually have two relevant stories to what you were talking about. So the first is too good to go. One time I did it in Boston with my friend Tyler and we go to this place. We ended up like walking two miles. I don't know why. I don't know why we didn't just like drive or whatever. We walked two miles, get to this place. It is the grossest, coldest pizza I've ever had in my entire life. It was like all the ingredients were soggy. Like this pizza was definitely good to go because <laughs> someone should have thrown that thing away a long time ago. But that was my funny too good to go story. But speaking of a uh, high cost of living, I actually just touched down this week in Hawaii. So for the next six weeks, actually, I'm going to be staying in Hilo, which is one of the less expensive places in Hawaii. But Hawaii is just a place that is associated with higher cost of living. You know, a lot of stuff gets imported here. Groceries are higher. Gas is higher. Rent is higher. Everything is higher in Hawaii. But I'm super excited. I get to escape the cold of the Northeast. And it's kind of nice just being able to pick up now that I'm like a digital nomad. Basically, me and my fiance, Lauren, we just work on our laptops from anywhere. And we're time zone agnostic. So 
we're just going to pack up and move to Hawaii for six weeks, see how things go. And if we kind of like doing that, we might start doing that every winter. And maybe it'll become longer and longer and we'll become full-fledged snowbirds like our friends James and Emily. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to kind of take your lead on that, I guess. You know, we're going to also be going to Costa Rica in January for a month. So we're trying to do the same thing. And also, it's a funny note. We talk about somewhere like Hawaii that people always think about is really expensive. I had this funny thought cross my mind when I was in Kauai a couple years ago. We drive by a subway and I'm like, hey, somebody works that subway and they live on this island. That means you don't have to be rich to live here. Like it is possible. Somebody's doing it. (laughs) Somebody's doing it. Absolutely. Just got to get creative. And that's what we're all about on the Fi Show. But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's talk about our guests for today, Ryan and Corey. So what I really like about Ryan and Corey's story is these are two guys who met in college they're working corporate jobs and they're like, hey, why don't we kind of just give this entrepreneurship thing a try? So like get into real estate, they start podcasting. And as they start to do more things, they kind of start to unlock more income streams. And some of them have become more passive. Some of them are more active income streams. But it's just cool to see that they're doing this alongside full time jobs. You know, they also have significant others at home. They're also doing a bunch of other stuff. At one point, Ryan does say he's like, dude, I'm working like 100 hour weeks, like I'm grinding, but I'm making this thing work. And they're slowly just building this machine in the background, using the active income they're making from their day jobs to start to fund some of these more passive ventures like their real estate and the brand they're building with their podcast. And I was just super inspired to see how much these guys were grinding. And and it reminded me a lot of when I was working in Boston, and I was doing the 100 hour weeks too. It's just it was almost like a blast from the past. Well, obviously, you know, I've got a soft spot for folks that have those W-2 jobs as somebody who's still out there, you know, working for the man. But the one cool thing I liked about it was that they're talking about the skills that they're learning from their day job and how they're taking that, incorporating it into these new income streams that they're creating. Being in sales, they're learning how to talk to people. They're learning how to negotiate deals. Like it's not an all or nothing thing like that. You can't take aspects from one and leverage it in the other or that you have to completely shut off one to start the other. And so I think that's a good episode to talk about how you can transition, how you can use one to benefit the other. And if you want to find out more information about Ryan and Corey, check out their podcast or maybe share this episode with somebody you know who's looking to start that bridge between W-2 and making their own income streams. You can find all that and share this episode at thefyshow.com slash Ryan and Corey. That's thefyshow.com slash R-Y-A-N-A-N-D-C-O-R-Y. Take it away, Ryan and Corey. I grew up relatively privileged, I would say, to be honest with you. Like, my parents gave my siblings and I a great life. My dad is an entrepreneur himself. But I think part of his DNA was to kind of not let the family know what was going on at work. Like, he just never really talked about money or, you know, how things were going. So I was shielded from anything that was good or bad because it felt good to us. I grew up upper middle class, but. I think what my dad did is like he dedicated himself to his craft in being just a really good salesman. But the entrepreneurial venture that he took with the family business that I'm now in, it never really like exploded, right? So they were always just doing really, really well. And money to me, I never really thought of it in any specific way until I got older and I was like, oh, okay, well, how does this actually work? Because I just really had a great life kind of what I had there. But when I went to college, Ryan and I met and I always knew that there was something more. Like, do I have to work like my father did all the time? And did I have to have like 60 to 80 hour weeks and have a similar life? Could they get better? So that's kind of where we stumbled upon real estate. 
and financial independence, just doing our own research. And really from there, I was like, I think that I can see a bigger and better life, even though I had a great upbringing. And Ron, how about you? Would you have a kind of similar story or was yours a little different? Yeah, I would say it's a similar story. They kind of parallel in a way. Actually, my father is an entrepreneur as well on the blue collar side. So he has a couple of brothers too, and they all have their own businesses. So I grew up in this background of they never had to clock in and out. It was all these guys in my life that I looked up to were on their own schedule. And so for me, my dad was always excellent about this. He was like, though I was privileged, right? He helped me get through school and all that and put food on the table and basically all the things you see in in movies, right? Or like, hey, some people come from X background and some people have to really fight for it. To be honest, growing up, didn't really have to fight for it. However, my dad was like, hey, as soon as you're of age, 14, you're going to get a job and you're going to learn the value of a dollar. And that was the importance for me. So starting out, I mean, I did a little bit of everything, man. I did golf course maintenance. I did construction. I was I don't know, like, I guess like a little handyman, if you will. I was painting. I was doing pretty much anything with my hands. And it's funny because that's completely opposite of what I do now, which is very weird. I guess I found what I didn't like to do. I even found myself working at a little motel, folding sheets, painting walls, like doing like literally like a pool boy, like any little hands-on thing you could possibly think of. And at one point I was like, I had to like go in, clock in, clock out, arrange from nine to 15 bucks an hour. I'm like, this sucks, dude. Even though just going out <laughs> to eat with my friends and things is you had just a little bit left over after to do things you want. I'm like, how is dad doing this? How the hell is he figuring this out? All through school, I have a great house, great like structure, if you will. And he's running his own business. But we never really talked about it. That was the hard thing for me. So I just decided to jump all in as a young teenager. A couple, my brother and one of my best friends at the time, I was a landscaper too. That was just another hat that I wore. And so from there, I was like, wow, I can make 15 bucks an hour working for this guy, cash under the table, or let me try this thing on my own, my own, start my own business. Maybe I can make 30. Maybe I can double it. So my brother and my best friend and I decided to start a company. We branded it, got a logo, had a little slogan. It's called Three Kings Landscape. And our slogan was, where every lawn's treated like royalty. So it's a little funny thing. If they hear this, they're going to love it. But we literally packed my boy's truck. We got our lawnmower. We got a weed whacker. And there's things that I was doing at 6 a.m. in the morning. And then I finished by like 3. We would just get in the truck at three again when all of us got off work and have our own business, right? So I was making the 15 with the gentleman that hired me. And then I was making double with just me and my boy because we split the lawns. We had a little route that we did. So that was a little insight to entrepreneurship for me. And then Corey and I met in college. We lived together and then we actually lived together outside of college. And we got jobs in the corporate field outside of hands-on work, right? Like you're on a salary and you're using your brain versus your hands. And I'm like, this is great, right? It's a lot less stress, having to get up, go grind on the outside. But we would come home, we're like, cash is still tight. Like, How do we get the car we want? How do we get the house we want? How, when kids and family and wives come into play, are we really going to be living the life we want? And we, you, know, you see things on Instagram, you, see, you read about things, you're like, we could be those guys. We just have to figure out how to do it. And I think we travel down this path of A, how do you get there? But B, like the mindset shift. And the book we both read was the traditional one that you probably hear in every podcast. I'm sorry to bring it up, but It's rich dad, poor dad. And it just flips the way you think, right? And instead of the money that comes in, you're pumping into your car payment, to rent, to food, to like, I know this, a lot of those things are like, you have to have them and they're just kind of the basics. But rather than going out, spending a ton on clothes, on the flashiest car, it's like, okay, we got to pump our excess cash into income producing assets. And that's where real estate came into play. And we decided to partner up. We've known each other for 10 plus years, super basically brothers, share everything. And for us, that's really what's helped us elevate our lives. And I think the entrepreneurship 
was going to come no matter what. It's just, we're glad that we found each other because it's a, moved on a fast track because we're both like-minded and we have similar goals. I think something that's interesting and just cool about your story. I mean, you guys are both still working full-time jobs right now, correct? Yes, sir. So I think a lot of people who listen to the episode today and all the stuff we're going to get into, like all the amazing things you guys are doing with real estate, with other digital product passive income stuff, with your podcast, you have so much going on, but you're doing this like alongside a corporate job, which a lot of people might be like, how is that even possible? Like, how do these guys find the hours in the day? I guess we kind of talk about some of those first entrepreneurial ventures. I know, Ryan, you mentioned the landscaping company. Corey, I think you might've gotten to entrepreneurship more seriously later on, but like, how did you start to carve out the time to even pursue those types of things if you were already working full-time in a day job? I mean, I can speak for myself, but I think it's more so like we just knew we had to do it. And we knew that we were going to use up that 40 to 50 hours a week that we were working these corporate jobs. It's not really corporate on my end. It was more I was working for my family's business. But I was like, I got to use this income. I got to set my standard for how I want to live my life. And I have to live at that amount and then try to be a salesman and sell above and above and above that and then keep my lifestyle the same. And I knew as long as I did that, I could find the hours in the day from six to midnight or whatever it was to go take that money and put it in other ventures. So for me, it was really just like once we had the mindset shift, I knew that I could find the time. And I knew that like all these other people that were doing it, a lot of them started out with nothing. So I feel like I already had a leg up. So it was really just like something that I felt like we had to do. There's a lot to unpack here, but it kind of goes to scheduling, right? And everybody's job requires a different amount of brain power or manpower or woman power, whatever it is, like put like hands on. I, I keep going back from like the corporate to the, the blue collar style, but I think it's time of the day. Some people are morning people, some people are night owls. And so for us, you know, they're always taught and you see on Instagram, not taught, but today everyone's like, get up at five and then you got to work five to nine and then go to work all day and then come home, sleep, get up super early again. You can flip it and you can get up your normal time if your brain can't function that early, go nine to five. And then from six to nine or six to midnight, as Corey said, that's when you hammer home all your entrepreneurial stuff. So for us, we saw it was out there. We knew other people did it. And then once you meet these people and you kind of come to this point where you have conversations, you're like, wow. That person's not smarter than me. I can absolutely be that person. You just have to figure out how to navigate it with your current situation. I think that's the hardest thing. And if you want it enough, you'll do it. There's a lot of people that they say they want to do it. They'll start it and they stop. We found that consistency and just literally not stopping is the thing that's brought us to the success that we've seen so far. And it's really funny. We talk about, you guys have a podcast. We're on it right now. We also have a podcast. Typically, I think like maybe 5% of podcasts get to 100 episodes, but people quit way before then. So if you just keep going, for example, our podcast, we're like, it's going to become successful. We're going to tweak it along the way and study it, right? And look at our competitors, what's working, what's not. That's kind of a sidebar for that. But talking about scheduling, we build it out. We share our schedule together, right? Like I know when Corey's working, he knows when I'm working. And then we kind of divvy up tasks. We have this awesome tool called Asana. And this is just specifically for our social and just to give you a little peek behind the curtain. But we ourselves, our producer and Corey, myself, and our producer, that's all three of us, we have access to this program, right? We go in and we divvy up tasks and it's all color-coordinated calendar view. And it's like, you're responsible for this. I just know unequivocally that he's going to get something done if it's on his calendar. I'm going to get it done because I don't want to let him down. Now, we have had to have these conversations in the beginning when starting our businesses and all this stuff. But you really, if you're going to business someone, you have to trust that they're going to do or hold up their end of the bargain, right? Because your life and your future's on the line. So that's kind of where we got into it. But divvying up your calendar is hard and sharing it with someone else and then 
you really don't have room to, you know, those days where you're just like, ah, I just don't want to do this. Well, it's kind of nice to have a partner because those days don't work anymore. It's like, yeah, you don't want to do this, but dude, you're doing this because I don't want Corey texting me. Where's this? Because then it just gets, becomes more stressful and holds you accountable. And I think that's why we talk partnerships a lot on our podcast, but that's why we really love our partnerships because you can divide and conquer and just elevate quicker. But I know I kind of went on a tangent there. If I could jump in here, I think the thing that springboarded our journey the most and that helped with that is actually just documenting what we were doing because we felt like there was a relatability aspect to other people that were like, oh, I could relate to that. I could maybe do what these guys are doing. So even from the beginning, we just put stuff on paper, talked about it, put it on social media. And by starting the podcast, people were like, oh, these guys are willing to talk about the shit that they screw up, the good things, the bad, the ugly. And then by meeting cool people like yourself, you just end up getting in the same rooms with people who are doing bigger and better things. And the more that you do that, lo and behold, you're kind of on that level, so to speak. I think one thing that's been interesting to me as I've been in this space is realizing that not every topic has to be extremely overcomplicated or over the top, like the most in-depth thing or the most like complicated kind of concept to get your head wrapped around because the general public, we just don't get that kind of personal finance education. Is that something, I mean, Ryan, we can start with you. Is that something you kind of like you've noticed as you start putting out content that maybe going into it, you'd set a bar or saying like, now we've got to cover like A, B, and C because that's that really complex stuff that people need help breaking down. But then maybe after you got into it, realized actually, you know, even the basics like people need help with. You hit that on the head. We go back and forth with this on our content all the time. But originally when we started, it was very intense and detail oriented on, hey, how to get into real estate, how to become an entrepreneur. And people today are truly looking for the basics. And then once you get them in on the basics, then you, it's almost like a one-on-one kind of conversation to, hey, you have a specific scenario, right? That's the thing. People might relate to X, Y, Z, your story, but the second half they don't relate to because they're not quite there yet or they're way past that. So you have to navigate that all the time. But we found that a lot of people, they need the basics and the walkthroughs. We're seeing the most... I keep relating this to content, but like the conversations that we have with people are really at the most basic level these days. For example, like in my nine to five job, a lot of people, they know I'm not like the personal finance and the real estate guy now. And a lot of them had a 401k, but they had no idea what it was. And let alone, they didn't know what it was. How could they know what to invest in? So we had to have the conversation and I went one by one all through them. And it's not like financial advice, right? This is not what you should do in the future, but it's educating them on them what each thing is. Because at least in our office, we had someone come in and give a presentation. And they're giving all this lingo that people don't understand. And they're like, hey, come schedule a one-on-one consultation with me. And in turn, you're going to have to give some of your cut of whatever you invest into this person, right? It's an advisor. So I was trying to do it for free as their friend and just to give a little bit of insight there. But it's interesting the way the world works, man. A lot of people don't understand basic personal finance because it wasn't taught in school. And if I could add in there, I think that what we realize is like, one, we're not Steve Jobs, we're not Elon Musk. Like, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here in what we do. We don't look at ourselves as geniuses. There are so many people, it's 2022. How many people have done what you want to do? You can go emulate that person and try to be that person and maybe try to get mentors or put yourself out there and provide value to that person that you're looking up to. And it's almost like a copying game and not to copy like originality of what somebody does, but like the steps are all out there. I mean, you guys can attest to this. You have courses and things that can help circumvent the system and help people. I think people are maybe not willing to put themselves out there and talk about what they're not good at 
But the sooner that you start doing that, I think the easier it becomes. And then, yeah, it is kind of the basics after that, because there are so many people that have done what you want to do before you've done it. And to help people resonate with both of your stories, maybe a bit more, can we get into, I mean, we don't have to go into it like super in depth, but just your general roles at your day jobs and how maybe some of the skills you started to acquire at those roles have then played into your entrepreneurial ventures and maybe, you know, helped you whether figure out systems or, I mean, definitely give you cash flow to invest in income producing assets like real estate. But I just think that would be interesting for people to hear and maybe they could resonate with if they're in a similar position at their day job. Absolutely. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. So I'm in sales. We both are in sales. And for me, I think this was the best I guess going into inside sales right after college was the best school of hard knocks I could ever go through. It was picking up the phone, dialing 100 random numbers and trying to sell them X product, right? And you're getting a lot of no's. So you form thick skin, but then you also learn how to navigate a bunch of different conversations. Now I can talk to literally a brick wall and I don't care. Like I can find something. We're going to relate on something. I don't know what the brick wall is going to have in common with me besides maybe hitting the gym. But, uh, That's right. We, <laughs> running through it. Yeah, running through it as well. I was like, where am I going here? But uh, for example, on this topic, I think a lot of people get into nine to fives and they're on a fixed salary. And that's hard because whether you're doing extremely well that day or extremely poor that day, you're getting paid the same amount. And for me, I'm a super competitive guy. I played sports all growing up and so did Corey. And for us, it was like, how can I be better than someone else? Like, There's no game to this, just handing me a salary. So I really love sales where if you crank out more hours and it's literally a numbers game, right? The more calls you make, the more sales in turn are going to come if you hone your craft over time. And that kind of pivots to my next role. I moved into more of a customer service kind of role. So now I not only know how to sell, but I also know how to nurture and care for these relationships. And that kind of translates to pretty much anything I do. And with that, the next role was getting handed a book of clients, right? And creating relationships. And then from there, you kind of build additional revenue streams off then. And like they want specific products, right? You have them, right? You can sell them to them. So for me, it was the game of, okay, I knew for at that moment, I no longer could go to a job that didn't offer me a commission because I need the hunt. I need to go. I love sales and going after that. And that kind of helped me be more well-rounded in the entrepreneurial lifestyle for us. Like we can sell products, digital products, right? We were selling ourselves. We're getting into real estate. We're buying and selling. So there's just a lot of different things where I would recommend to someone that feels kind of stagnant and that is like, oh man, like no matter what I do, I'm only making X amount. I'm still giving them 40 hours, but I'm only making 50 to 70 grand. Well, what if you gave them 40 hours, but you had an upside of 30 grand on top of that 70 grand by making sales? So I would recommend sales to any entrepreneur that wants more and that 
just test yourself, get into a sales role. Yeah. And for me, it kind of came down to the same, similar thing. And just could I control my own destiny? Like, could I have my own say in this? And everything about sales for us was like, you have to learn the psychology of human beings. And that doesn't just work in like sales, but it's like, how about relationships and not just relationships that are going to get you somewhere like networking, but how about like the friends that you have and like the family that you have and like, what does it feel like to be around them? All of that translates to negotiating on a real estate deal, to helping to sell somebody on a course that you're creating and selling to actually provide value, not just selling to make money. So for me, the thing that I fell in love with by being in sales is just the development of the people around me and watching other people grow. And I'm a high school basketball coach on the side. I'm not exactly sure how I have time for it, but I make time for it. And really what that has done for me is like brought me back to like being a child again, man. And like watching these kids develop and like then they trust you and building a relationship with a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kid who's a really talented athlete, but like needs guidance in their life. It's just like brought me so much love and joy and passion for putting it into this, going and selling products going in, creating those relationships, and then helping me just learn and grow as a human being myself. So not totally sure if I answered your question there, but I think if anybody's out there that's looking to develop and push themselves, sales puts you in so many uncomfortable situations that you can't help but mold and grow. And you both obviously have day jobs on top of all the entrepreneurial things. And so the thing I'd like to ask about, and you're spending a lot of time on Instagram, and I think on Instagram, you know, it's really built up these people who you know, make it like kind of idolizing people who don't have a normal day job. Like they are only entrepreneurs. They're crushing it. They're making huge amounts of money. And it's almost like in a way like borderline demonized having a normal W-2 job. But obviously you're both doing it and having the entrepreneurial stuff on the side. You know, most listeners know that I still have my W-2 job. I think there's a lot of balance you can have between kind of mixing the two streams. But I'd love to get both of your takes on if you're seeing that, like if you're seeing kind of Instagram, this world where W-2 jobs don't seem like they make any sense anymore and why maybe people shouldn't just feel like it's all or bust. You know, it's like we have to go fully entrepreneurial or we're not successful. Yeah, I can start with this. I feel like the reason that you're seeing that is because there is a point of diminishing returns in your day job if it's not pointed in the same physical direction or not or literal direction of what your entrepreneurial venture is, right? If it's in the same path, it might help benefit it. Like for us sales, we continue to gain skills and knowledge that help us in the entrepreneurial ventures. But I think that sometimes people think that, and they may be correct is that it takes away from the time that you could be building this thing and this dream. For us, it's in the same realm. So it helps us. And by the way, it helps us get real estate loans too. It's hard to get loans if you know you can be making a million dollars a year. And if they're not seeing this W-2 income, it makes it more difficult, at least the way that we've bought real estate so far. But I think it's only demonized because people maybe didn't have the W-2 job that helped them in their own scenario. But for us, it's only helped and I think that making that, we both make six figures. So it's a hard thing to step away from. And candidly, like we know that maybe if we did go all in on the real estate and all in on the content creation, that actually we would skyrocket past. But it's kind of just being a little bit of the contentness of having the steady income. And I think you can do it both ways. That's the beautiful thing. It's like, there's no right or wrong here. It's just what's right for you. And people need to realize that that is the only thing that really should matter. Figuring that out's another animal, but that's why you got great podcasts like yours and ours and other ones that can help you figure out what's right for you by just taking bits and pieces from what other people have already done. On Instagram, I do see that being demonized a lot. And a lot of people in the comments will come at you 
thinking that, that you're this like influencer and that you have life made and it's been so perfect for you and you don't have to work at all and you just have these things. There's some accounts, right? You just see all the vacations. You see the nice car. You see all the stuff. Half that stuff is A, rented, B, on loans, and they don't fully own it and they can't afford it. And then in a couple of years, it's going away. Other people, they are phenomenal, right? They actually are. They do have the 18, 20 streams of income. They are the way we got you there. Uh, 18 streams of income. They <laughs> have their life planned out, but they're investing as well. And for me, it's a hard balance. The thing that kind of set us up for success was we're completely candid with what we're going through and we're showing our journey every step of the way. We're not financially independent yet. We're well on our way there. We're close probably next year, but here's how we've done it. Here's a how-to guide. Just go back to episode one of our podcast and go through every single episode all the way up to today. You'll know exactly how we did it. We told you. We're walking you through it and there's been trials, tribulations, there have been a lot of mistakes and you can skip those by just learning from us. And that's what we've done. We've listened to other podcasts like yours and we've met a lot of people and interviewed a lot of people that are way more successful than us. And we've learned from their mistakes and that's helped us transcend our financial futures to where they are today and where they're going to be. But it is a very hard balance and entrepreneurship is not for everybody, right? And Corey already said that. It really isn't. And I don't think it needs to be glamorized to be this thing that like, oh, he's an entrepreneur. He has all the time in the world. Dude, we work literally 100 hours a week. You know this, especially we have 40 hours with our W-2. Then we have another 60 on top to grow our baby and our babies, right? We have a bunch of different income streams here. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's just, we see the, it's kind of goes to the same topic of investing. We're long-term investors. I know the work I put in now is going to change my life drastically in the future. And I'm willing to have the slow burn for it because I know that I'm going to be taken care of. My family is going to be taken care of in as long as I survive, right? If I make it to 60, 70, however old it is. But I think the cool part is there's a lot of benefits that come with being a business owner, a lot of write-offs. There's a lot of different travel things you can do. There's a lot of... When I say write-offs, I'm talking vehicles. I'm talking... Then you can play with real estate investing. There's a lot of playing around with the 1031 exchanges. There's little loopholes that you can use, but becoming a business owner and educating yourself on the topics, other people wouldn't have any idea of how to do that. They're like, that looks so hard. That's impossible for me. It's not impossible for you. It's just going to take time. And I think a lot of people want the instant gratification of becoming rich and becoming wealthy, or at least appearing that way today. So they'll go buy the Louis Vuitton bag. They're going to go lease the Tesla. And just uh, everything looks great, right? How are you feeling? But it's like, okay, I got to keep going back to the W-2 job every day just to hopefully get the next raise so I can continue to keep up with the Joneses. And so for us, we just kind of live modestly and live in or below our means. So that way in the future, we can live a little bit more lavishly, but it's really all about the time freedom. That's what you're learning or we're learning as we're getting older. I always thought I wanted the the sick car, the massive house, but now it's just like, I want to do what I want, when I want. And basically it's just kind of hang with my family, do my little hobbies and I don't know, make my podcast. There's little things that guys in general, I just think we're simple beings. Like there's a couple of things we need and you guys can probably test this too. And I don't, that's a whole different topic, but for Corey and I, I think just being able to wake up every day and have something we're motivated to go do that's our own and take care of, that's enough for us to keep going every day and plugging along, plugging along. And then you watch yourself level up and that's the coolest thing. And you guys are in it together too, which is so cool. And it's a fun thing to do with someone else because sometimes you don't recognize when you're leveling up and you need a little tap on the shoulder like, dude, we just did X, Y, Z this year. That's freaking insane from where we were last year. So there's a lot there, but I love talking about this stuff. And it's so important for people that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you can be, but don't think you have to be because you see it on Instagram. Your W-2 is just fine. 
your life is your life to live and just make it how you want. You can create your own destiny. Amen, man. Drop some truths there. I remember something that reminded me, you said it just takes a long time for things to happen. I think I probably spent well over a hundred hours before I made a dollar on my blog when I first like got into this whole space. So good things take time. And we've kind of been dancing around some of these income streams. I know you just mentioned you guys have multiple income streams together. We've mentioned the words real estate. We've mentioned podcast. I think I mentioned the word YouTube, but we haven't really dug into any of those. So Corey, I'll have you kick this thing off and you guys can just kind of riff off of each other. I know you have a lot going on. So what was kind of that first venture and how has the Weekly Juice podcast and all the things you have going on evolved over time? If you want to go back to the inception of it, actually, Ryan and I worked at the same place and I was making a lot less than him because I was doing something that didn't bring the company nearly as much revenue. So that's why I was making less. But my boss was like trying to get me to stay. And he was like, all right, you know, I'm going to get you X amount raise, which was like 10 grand. And like, you know, even back then I was like, that's not really going to help me a lot. Like, that's great. He's like, he's like, you know what you could do? He's like, you could buy a five bedroom house and you could rent out the rooms to people that work here. Cause they're all 23, 24, 25. And I was like, Oh, so you mean like I could live for free? And he's like, you can make money. Right. So I ended up taking his advice. He was a real estate investor too on the side, which I learned later, but I bought a three bedroom house and I rented out the two rooms of my roommates and I lived for free. And that was house hacking for me. And it was like, it's not that I had to share a wall. I had to share a living space, but they happened to be my friends. So it worked out. And then after that, I bought a duplex and I slowly started to build this thing. And I remember talking to Rye and he's like, oh, like Corey's actually doing this. Like we, we got to do this together. And that's how we started this business of trying to buy long-term rentals. The market has shifted so much since we started. And we only started two and a half years ago, right? I said, let's buy long-term rentals. Let's buy in, in cash flowing areas that are going to appreciate in value. And then we're planting seeds for our future. So now between us, we have eight units. One of them is a short-term rental. The rest are long-term rentals. And then we are in syndications, limited partners in syndications, soon to be general partners in another one where we have 53 units total as a small minority owners of them. But we've done that through relationships and creating good partnerships with other people who are doing it better than us. So the podcast was really just a way for us to document our journey, figuring that people would resonate with it. We call ourselves like small-time investors. Like they're just starting out, they're learning along the way, they're making mistakes. I bought my first property, I did I put zero dollars into it. I didn't even know you were supposed to fix properties up. I had no clue. But I just wasn't afraid of it. So I was like, let's see what happens. I gotta keep making money in my W-2 job in case something goes south. And every single thing possible did go south on my first property. I was like, oh, this is going to cash flow 500 bucks a month. I'm like, yeah, right, dude. I lost 300 bucks a month for the first two years because I didn't fix anything. And my tenants were decent tenants. They were paying, but I have story after story of just like doing the wrong thing after the wrong thing. And then by getting into the partnership with Rye, we were able to kind of take some of that load off of each other and say, okay, well, you can handle these aspects. I can handle these aspects. And then also grow and elevate together because we were good at different things. So hopefully I answered your question there. I kind of went off a little bit, but to give you a paint a picture of what our real estate portfolio looks like. And then from there, it grew into different income streams based on who we met by interviewing people on the podcast. They were like, hey guys, you guys seem pretty cool. You seem pretty with it. I'm doing this. Does it work for you? And then we had like, yes, no decisions to make. Now a lot of opportunities come our way and we have to turn a lot down just because does it fit into like our quote unquote, buy box or what we want our lives to be. And really that is time freedom. And neither of us need to make a hundred million dollars. Like I think that multiple millions is in our future, but I don't think it has to be this like 
ongoing forever chasing this proverbial carrot in front of us because all that does is get you to false summits and you just end up being like, wow, I just have to chase the next thing. So long story short is the partnership together, real estate, long-term, short-term, we're going to get into some medium-term, but that's kind of the gist of our rental side of the investing. Corey, you mentioned like you figured out, you know, I'm better at some things, he's better at some things. That's something I'm always interested in when people get together, like what you learned about yourselves and about each other and kind of how you spread out the work. Yeah, it's a good question. So the thing that I learned the most is that I didn't think I was really a numbers person, but then I realized that I was like, I really do understand and enjoy math and numbers and like making sure that what we're doing fits into a criteria for us. Both Ryan and I are very good at sales. We do things differently. He has a little bit more like calloused thick skin because he started out cold calling and that taught him like, look, people are going to hit you in the face all day long, dude. Like you have to be ready for this. For me, I didn't like talking to tenants as much because like there were certain things about it that I was like, you know, I can't say what I want to say because there's a leverage situation here and you need to be cordial and you need to keep everything tight and make sure everything's running smooth. So Rye was really good at the, okay, look, like this is not that big of a deal. I've dealt with this tenant speaking to me this way. Here's what we do X, Y, Z. I was pretty good with the numbers and making sure that our criteria was right for buying. And then there were a lot of similarities and things that we were both good at, which was negotiating, creating solid relationships, yeah, I don't know if you had something or anything to add there. I think that a lot of partners think that, you know, you have to almost be opposites for you to work. And we were told by so many people, like, do not get into a partnership. It'll go sour. Like, it'll go south. I'm like, I think that the way that we communicate to each other and understanding that there's going to be bad days in this, there's going to be good days. There's going to be days that we're pissed off at each other. But that's like the territory that comes along with like, not just the partnership, but like what we see as a brotherhood. So our communication within our partnership has allowed us to kind of continue moving forward. And we learned that you don't have to be complete opposites. Like one person doesn't have to be really good at one thing. One person doesn't have to be really good at another thing. You can kind of both be good at everything and then outsource the rest. And that's kind of the, the stage that we've gotten to right now is outsourcing the things that we don't want to do. So I know, Corey, you kind of outlined what you guys are doing in real estate. But now that you've started to build this brand, I know you've had like some more digital opportunities come your way. Like I've seen you guys talk about your YouTube automation channels that you're doing. I've seen you guys work with sponsors. And so it seems like you're starting to kind of make money in the digital realm as well. So Ryan, I was wondering if you could talk about that for a little bit. Sure. So there's a lot of different ways you can make money in 2022, right? As, as you can attest to. So for us, we kept seeing things floating around Instagram, the internet, we're like, Hey, open an Amazon FBA store, have an automated YouTube channel. We're like, all right, what the heck are these things? So funny enough, we had a gentleman that we interviewed on our show. He's a real estate investor, very successful guy. And we put what we were interested in out in the universe, right? We're all, we talk about these things and we just want to get into them. And there's so many gurus out there, right? So it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong to get into and who's good and who's bad, but it was a referral, right? So we talked to this gentleman on the show and he's like, you guys looking for passive income streams? I have two that you need to look into and it's actually housed under this one company and they're an operator. And basically what an operator is, is essentially just a company that you pay to create, establish an Amazon store or a managed YouTube channel and they will go ahead and run the show for you by a profit split every month. So they're two different things, but they're housed under one company for us. So the one I want to talk about is our YouTube automation channels or a managed YouTube channel. So basically the gist of it is you create a YouTube channel and on that channel, 
videos are posted daily by the operator and they're going to be in a different variety of niches, right? It might be culinary, it might be travel, it might be sports, whatever it may be. And with that, advertisers, as long as they're getting a lot of views, advertisers are going to want to come and advertise on your channel, right? Because if an advertiser puts a banner on your video, the more likely that that is going to get clicked and someone's going to sign up for their product or buy something that they have, right? So there's a business in that. So we decided to open up a couple of these channels and they're currently getting niched out and one of ours is doing really well and it's on the culinary side, right? So it's a bunch of smoothies, food getting cooked. And then you'll see on the channel, there's banner ads for specific like Tupperware, forks, spoons, all different types of things. And then whatever money gets brought in, we split 65, 35% with the operator. Forgive me. I've had so many of these conversations where we talk about these channels that I don't want to forget any details. I'll let Corey chime in in a minute. But there's a bunch of different ways to do this, specifically with our company that we work for. They have a pool of advertisers. Let's just say they have a hundred of these channels, right? They're all different niches. They can go to advertisers or companies and say, hey, listen, we have a hundred channels that get 10 million views a month. Do you want to come advertise with us? Because if so, we have something that will fit your bucket. We have something in this niche, this niche, this niche. And so with that, it's kind of like a revolving pool of income, right? Because these advertisers will pay dollars to come in and pay to get their banners on your channel. You're getting a cut of that rev, but you're also getting a cut of anything that gets signed up for. And as I mentioned, the revenue split is 65, 35%. There's a little bit more nuance and kind of details that goes into it, but that's one of our revenue streams. It's YouTube automation channels. We also have an Amazon store, FBA store. And I can't speak too educated on this topic because we've only had it for like six months, but essentially it's your own Amazon store, your brand, right? And then we buy in bulk. So let's just say, for example- Wholesale, right? It's wholesaling. So for example, say there's like a knives set. Our operator will go buy the knives set for 2000 bucks. They're going to sell it, try to sell it for 4000 bucks, right? And not all at once, but over orders over time. And then we're just going to get a share or a cut monthly. And then you have to pay some back to Amazon for letting you house on their platform. And then you have to pay the operator back. And then whatever's left over, we take in. So that's one of our income streams. We have sponsorships on our podcast. That's another income stream. We have our 401ks. We have our Roth IRAs. We have our W-2s real estate, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, syndications. I'm probably forgetting a couple here, but trying to rattle off as many as I possibly can think of. Yeah. And just to add on to that, I think Roddy did a great job explaining these things, but the key is that we're doing things that allow us to essentially do what we want with our time. We're not going to take on an income stream if it's super active and it doesn't align with how we will really want to spend our day. So we're not afraid to hire a property manager on our long-term rentals that pay them 8% because it takes a valued task that we know needs to get done off of our plate and put onto a plate of somebody who can do it better, right? So long-term rentals, we have a property manager. Short-term rentals, we pay a higher percentage. We pay 20%. Instead of making $2,300 a month on our short-term rental, we're going to make $1,000 a month because now we can spend time going and find more on the YouTube stuff. Could we do the Amazon and the YouTube on our own? Could we cut out our operator? Sure. But then we're going to add 20 hours a week onto something that we're not educated on. They're the experts. Go pay the experts. And we have it all buffered together that if some of the things don't work, we don't have all of our eggs in a basket. Kind of like the table scenario. Our income is like a table. And instead of having one leg or two legs or three, we have seven, eight, or nine. So if some of these things get broken off based on economic situations, COVID, who knows, apocalyptic nightmare with zombies. I don't know what's coming next, but something might. So like the thing is, is you just have to be prepared for anything and everything. And we felt the best way to do that is what are we really good at? Let's figure out ways, other ways to make some income and hire the people that are better at them than us. 
Well, this operator piece is definitely something we haven't really had anybody talk about on the show. So I'm really interested. And we always try to dive in to get a little bit of tactical, how you get some of this done. What's like the barrier to entry, the risk, the work that you have to put in? Like what's keeping everyone from doing this, I guess is my question. I know, right? Maybe has something to go into here. I think the risk now is like, how good are you at it, right? Because anyone can do something, right? I mean, people can put this together, but like only the top 5% of performers in each of these industries are really going to win because there are so many digital products out there. So the system that our operator has built has proven to be, from what we've seen, we feel like one of the best, if not the best in the industry. So the barrier to entry is for a lot of these things is there's a big down payment depending upon the product, but anywhere from $25,000 to $50,000 or $60,000, depending upon which product you go into. Those are the big barriers to entry for people that you have to have money coming in and a great baseline of different income streams and not spending the amount of money that you maybe want to in a certain point in your life in order to save up some of that income. But we really feel that the risks are, some of these investments may not work, right? And we have hired the manager of this to do their best work. And if they don't work, we're kind of willing to take on that risk. I don't know that there's any other like liability aspect. We have all of our different businesses set up in different LLCs to kind of protect there. I'm not a lawyer, so maybe there's other risks that we haven't even thought of, but we're kind of opposite of risk averse. We're very willing to go try new ventures. And if they don't work, we're okay with that too. Yeah. We're young. We're going to make the money back. It's just like, how are we going to make the money back? Right? So I can talk specifically on, I think to your question was on the YouTube thing. And so I'll go into that real quickly. So the barrier of entry or barrier to entry is 25,000 bucks. And that is to establish the channel, right? It gets created for you. It gets branded for you. And then that's paying the, the operators paying his team to go cut videos up every single day and post them on your channel or go source videos that have already hit viral and post them on there. So for example, the biggest risk is YouTube changing its algorithm. We're at the point where we've had this channel for one of our channels, for example, for 10 months. And last month, YouTube changed its algorithm. So for a while, for 10 months, what they were doing was they were going and they were repurposing TikTok videos from TikTok that hit viral and whether and they just picked the niche, right? And then they put it on your channel and they were blown up. They were going crazy. And then it, what happened was YouTube essentially is like, hey, we're not going to monetize channels that only post shorts. We're only going to monetize channels that have long form video. So now the operator has to go back and is like, okay, now we're going to have to make long form video and we're going to have to create it on our own. So I think that's what they're doing at the moment is like they're currently pivoting. It still works. The advertisers are coming in, but they're like, to make the amount of money that we were making, we have to pivot and follow the algorithm. And I think that's the biggest risk is like with anything, there's something new that could pop up. Look at TikTok's dominating today. Instagram's still there, but you could see at least for the reels and things they're trying to copy TikTok. Now, the cool thing about the YouTube shorts is a lot of countries, they've banned TikTok and you can't use that in that specific country. So what people are doing is they're trying to find, hey, I want to be involved with TikTok. So anything that says TikTok on it, people are going to go click to. So a lot of people in other countries have access to YouTube. So they'll just type in TikTok videos and then videos on our channels pop up and they scroll through, right? So they're getting their fix through another platform, but it's interesting. So advertisers are also taking to that and they're like, wow, you're getting eyes from maybe it's across the world but it's still more people that can potentially buy something from me. So it's an interesting game. I think all these digital products and e-commerce ventures, it's just playing to the times. I think for all of them, there's a stop at some point that it, like, where it'll fall off. And that's why you get a bunch of them. Because if one falls off, you're like, okay, let's try the next one. 
for us, our bread and butter and our foundation is real estate. And that's what's made what 80 to 90% of millionaires. So we're like, all right, we're going to stick with that. It's something tangible. I can see it. It's not virtual. We can mold it any way we want. You can negotiate and flip it and move on from it. So that's what we do is we just, any money that we get in from our e-commerce, we just pump into more real estate. So now we're just diversifying a little bit in the real estate sector. It's like, we have our long-term portfolio. It's pretty padded. We want to add to that, but we just um, went live with our first short-term rental today. So we closed on it last month. They just renovated it. It looks awesome. And today we just posted a listing. So that's sweet. That's, and those are known for more cash flow, right? So that's where we're like, go more a little bit risky, right? On the short-term rentals, a little vacation kind of property. And then completely passive with being limited partners on the syndications. It's just like, here's some cash. We want X amount return on it. And based on how you underwrote your deal, we're going to double check the deal. As long as it kind of looks up to par for us, we'll sign into it. You give us cash flow monthly, but when you refinance, then you get a bulk of your cash back at that point. Like maybe it's five to seven, or whether they sell it or refinance, like five to seven years down the line, you can make a big chunk of your change back. And those are so different, all those things I just covered, but those are the things that are going on in our brains every single day <laughs> at the currently we're at <laughs> wild. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I love just diving into all these new income streams. It's something that I haven't really heard of that model before. But like you said, you're kind of just trying different things. It's not like you're putting your life savings and we know our listeners to like put their life savings into a venture like this, but you guys have the extra cash flow. You have the extra capital, like never hurts to diversify and see what works. I guess as we start to round out this interview and we're nearing the end of our time here, what's kind of on the horizon for you guys? I know you just launched your first short-term rental. You mentioned medium-term rentals in the future. What are you looking forward to in the next one, three, five years? This is an interesting question because we have our meeting coming up for like the end of the last quarter of 2022 and 2023 and things have moved faster than we have anticipated. So really what our goal is, I think, is financial freedom in 2023. But one of the things that we're looking to do to do that is buy probably in this next year, one to two more medium to short-term rentals on our own in our own portfolio. And then get into a couple more syndications, but also start raising private capital for other syndicators that we have developed really strong relationships with. So I think 2023 is going to be joining a mastermind, which is something I just didn't mention, joining a mastermind, buying a few more short-term and medium-term rentals to pad our portfolio, and then likely having the opportunity work optional, W2 optional to go full-time into helping other people raise money and becoming general partners that way into bigger real estate deals that offer bigger returns with people that we've had relationships with over the past two to three years that we've seen what they've done kind of sitting on the sidelines. And they're saying, people trust these guys. Like We feel like we're good people. And every single time that I go and sell a product or try to talk about somebody else's product, I feel like if I can stamp my name on it, I feel like I'm doing good by somebody that I'm offering that product to. And I can say that unequivocally. So I don't have any problem going out there and trying to help other people build their real estate portfolio because we have a skill set that we think we can leverage So that is 2023, likely becoming work optional and building our real estate portfolio and helping others do the same by raising money. And how about you, Ron? Anything else you want to add about what you're excited to over the kind of next year? I think Corey alluded to the the investments that we're going to do. But the thing that kind of gets me the most excited is to systematize our business even more so than we already have. We have so many different things going on. And I know you guys do as well, but it goes down to like, how can I save myself as much time as possible with all those going on and becoming as efficient as possible? I'm at the point where we've done two and a half years of pumping out content every single day, not only like creating what the content is, 
editing it, repurposing it, putting it on social captions, posts. We're doing all that, me and you, and our scheduling. Hey, and, and we're in text chats. Hey, did you post today? This why? And like, even though we have our own roles, sometimes the technology that's supposed to post it doesn't post it. So it's like, hey, hire a VA to take some of these tasks. So it's hiring a VA or someone within, we want to hire someone within our company to help a lot of things. If I can find a VA where I can get 40 hours a week, that is not over 500 bucks. That'd be amazing. So I'm on the lookout. Also, not only with that is CPA. That was another big thing on our list here for the year. And we just hired a new CPA. They've been awesome so far, but it's to take Ryan's personal financial picture and Corey's separately and build them down and have our businesses interweave in these as best as possible, right? There's a ton of different write-offs that we're not taking advantage of right now. So we have what we think is the appropriate business structure, but we don't have as much education as someone that is a trained professional. So we've done a lot of research, interviewed a lot of CPAs, and then it just frees up a little bit more money to invest. And I know we keep throwing around investing, 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 but you can also spend some of your money too. I want to talk about that. Like I think another thing for Corey and I is like, I know he would say this and he keeps looking over at me, but we have not done a great job of celebrating our wins. It's always like, hey, thanks, but what's next? Like, What'd you do for me lately? And it sucks because you see yourself level up, you get so excited, you feel the momentum, you want to keep capitalizing. And then at some point, you're like, damn, like we need to celebrate this thing. We've done a lot more than we did. So I think a big trip is in order. I told them when we become millionaires, we can go on a trip. Before the end of the year, we would like to go do something special just to celebrate how far the business has come. That shouldn't be taken lightly because I know we talk about generating revenue, but it's kind of nice to spend a little bit and treat yourselves because you only have one life to live, you know? Well, Corey and Ryan, thank you so much for giving us some time on the show to walk us through your background, the business you've built, kind of what you're looking forward to. And for the listeners out there who want to check out your podcast or check out what you're up to next, where's the best place for them to find you? Really, Instagram's our biggest hub. We're trying to grow TikTok too, but we are at Weekly Juice Pod. We run the Weekly Juice Podcast. So we're at Weekly Juice Pod on Instagram and on TikTok. And we have episodes every single Wednesday. We interview successful entrepreneurs to teach the good, the bad, the ugly, and talk about their own journeys. So that's every Wednesday. That's the best place to find us right now. Specifically, Instagram is at Weekly Juice Pod. Awesome, guys. Well, just want to echo what Justin said. Appreciate you coming on. Everyone go check out their podcast. They ask fantastic questions. I was a guest. Go check out that episode if you want to dip your toe in the water and then start to rip through the rest of the awesome guests they have on there. But seriously, guys, just want to thank you so much for your time. I know as we talked about today, you have a million things going on. So appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, fellas. We really appreciate it. It's always cool to flip the script and be on the other side and just talk about our journey. So we always love doing that. So thanks for having us on. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.